Well, for the past three years, the disciples have been on quite a journey with Jesus. They have walked with him. They have sat under his teaching, and and they have observed the the healings and and the miracles and, and the demons being cast out and the lessons that he has taught them. And when we look through John, we know that everything has been pointing right to Jesus going to die on the cross. And in John, we see several times that Jesus has stated that his hour has not yet come. His hour has not yet come. We see that in John 2, verse 4. We see that in John 7, 30. We see that in John 8, 20. And in John 12, 27, Jesus says his hour is coming. But if you guys look in your text this morning in John 17, and you look, we didn't read it, but in verse 1 of John 17, it says that his hour has come. His hour has come. One commentary that I read this week said this, this is not simply the hour that Jesus has been preparing for. It's the hour the entire world has been anticipating. It's the fulfillment of a promise that was made in the garden that God would send a rescuer to save humanity from sin. It's the moment where everything will change, when sinful creatures can once again enjoy fellowship with the creator, when spiritual life trumps triumphs over spiritual death. At the climax of this story, Jesus stops to pray. He pauses at the, cro- the doorway of the cross, and he takes a moment to cry out for the Father's help. See, John 17 is known as the high priestly prayer. So this is the prayer that was offered to Jesus the night he was before he was to die, okay? So keep that in your mind this morning. This is the prayer offered by Jesus the night before he was to die. And this high priestly prayer, the reason it's called the high priestly prayer is that because if you guys remember in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the high priest would represent all of God's people behind the veil in the Holy of Holies, right? And so he would represent them, that high priest would represent his people to God. And Jesus is doing exactly this in this high priestly prayer in John 17, He is in the presence of his Father, and he is interceding on behalf of his disciples and all disciples of Jesus to come before he was to die. John MacArthur says this. He says, here in this high priestly prayer, in this moment, we are ushered into the throne room of God. Here we eavesdrop on the communion, the eternal communion between the Son and the Father. The veil is drawn back and we are admitted into the Holy of Holies. We approach the inner communion of the Trinity. The secret place of the Most High God is open for us. Here, we need to remove our shoes and listen and humble ourselves with reverent hearts because we are on the holiest of ground. I'm always struck when I read this chapter in the Bible because we get to see the beautiful intimacy and communion that Jesus had with his Father. And I'm struck as well because Jesus is praying for us in this prayer. What a comfort to know that we have a Savior that prays for us, that intercedes for us. 
You know, it reminded me, it says in Hebrews 7, that we have a Savior who ever lives to make intercession for us. You know, this prayer is significant because it really marks the end of Jesus' earthly ministry before he would be with his Father in heaven. And, And what we will see Jesus do in this prayer is that he's going to ask his Father to glorify himself He's also going to ask his father that his disciples be preserved. As he's going to go away, he's asking for protection and preservation over his disciples. And in that process, that, that the, his father, the father, would use us as instruments of glorification to the world around us. As Pastor Kevin preached last week, the opening message of this um, high priestly prayer we saw that Jesus prays for the Father to glorify him. Glory is a major theme in this chapter. And there is a mutual glorification of the Father and the Son. As Jesus has brought his Father glory in his time on earth, Jesus is now asking his Father to glorify him. And when Jesus asked the Father to glorify him, what that means is that that he would be praised, that he would be seen, that he would be honored as he was heading toward the cross. And what he's actually going to do as well as you read in this text, he anticipates even beyond the cross. You know, John 17, 1 said that the hour has come for Jesus to to pay the price, to be our substitute, right? That that we know that that he was going to, to, to bear our sin on that cross, to be the ultimate sacrifice for us, for Jesus to endure the wrath of God being poured out on him at the cross, to fulfill all the prophecies. So how will Jesus be glorified if the hour has come that, He's going to die on the cross. Well, the answer to that actually comes in verse 5 of our text. So if you're looking at your Bible, take a look at John 17, verse 5. Jesus is really looking beyond all of that. He's looking beyond the cross. He hasn't even died yet, but he's looking beyond it, and he is anticipating the glory that he is to receive from his Father in glory. John 17, 5 says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The Father will glorify the Son by restoring to him the position that he had before the foundations of the world. Jesus is going to be restored back to his rightful place next to the Father in glory. You know, Colossians chapter 1, it tells us that, you know, before the world existed, we have Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. We see the deity of Jesus here. And as Jesus is praying here, he's asking his Father to glorify him. He's asking that he would receive glory he would be restored back to his rightful place before eternity passed, next to the Father. See, again, Jesus brought glory to God by having accomplished the work. As we read in the first five verses of of John 17, we saw that Jesus brings glory to God by having accomplished the work that he had him to do and because of really who he is. 
He was there before the foundation of the world. Jesus is deserving of this glory that he is asking his father for. So if Jesus, and this is where I'm trying to tie in all that Kevin even talked about last week. So if Jesus cared deeply about the glory of his father here on earth, and asked and prayed for the Father to glorify himself, then as followers of Jesus, shouldn't that be our aim? The glory of God in all that we do? This is what Kevin talked about last week. So the shift that is happening in our text this morning that we read 9 through 19 is that Jesus in this section is interceding for his disciples and for all future disciples. He is praying for us. He prayed for the Father to glorify him, and now he is praying to the Father for his disciples. You know, as I shared that context, you know, I think it's it's helpful for us to think about now as we transition into Jesus praying for his disciples. You know, Jesus is praying in this section that really we would be instruments of glorification for him and that we would be sanctified, which will be our focus today. Really, our focus is going to be the idea of sanctification. I think sometimes, though, we hear words like glorification and we hear words like sanctification and we kind of forget what their meaning is or, or, or we just have a very simple view of what they are. So let's just stop for a second and talk through what those mean because I think it's really going to be important for us to wrap our hands around this so we have a good picture of um, what we're talking about today. So when we talk about glorification, you know, to give something glory, to give God glory is to, 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 to give majesty, splendor, it's divine goodness. You know, when we are called to magnify God, we are called to magnify God's greatness. That's giving glory. You know, when we look through a telescope, it magnifies the stars when we're looking through that te- telescope, Right? We see them more clearly as we are looking through them, and, and, and it magnifies the stars. Through that telescope, we see them more clearly and sharply. We see them in their true form, and, and the picture is just way more clear. Guys, God has created you to do that with your life, to magnify him, to put his goodness, to put his love, to put his faithfulness, his beauty, his wisdom on display so that people will see him and delight in him. John Piper says this. He says, glorifying means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness, that make much of God, that give evidence of the supreme greatness of all his attributes and the all-satisfying beauty of his manifold perfections. So not only has the Father been glorified in the life of Jesus, but Jesus is also, but he's also glorified in the lives of those in whom the Father has given him. And that was what we read in our text. You know, we make Jesus plainly seen when, when we live in alignment with how he has designed us to live. Jesus's prayer is that his disciples would continue to glorify Christ moving forward as his hour has come before, you know, he's about to leave this earth. And you just feel this passion this, as he intercedes for his disciples, this concern. You notice how, how Jesus prays this, though, as 
we look through, we're going to really be in our text now. Do you notice how Jesus prays this, though, and, and who he is praying for in this text? You know, it's, it's important to note that, that in this prayer, Jesus is not praying for the world here. You know, because they are not a part of who the Father has given to him. You see, if you are in Christ, you are separate from the world. Did you know that? Jesus is praying for the ones in which the Father has given him, the, the chosen of God, those who have believed. You, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are distinguished from the world. You know, John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And in verse 10 of our text this morning, it reminds us that disciples of Jesus are God's chosen and are called to bring Jesus' glory through our lives. What a statement, though, by Jesus in that text, if you're looking at verse 10. Jesus says in verse 10, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. See again the, 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 the deity on display here? that Jesus has been trying to show us all throughout the Gospel of John. You know, that is what this whole book has been about, the purpose from day one. In John chapter 20, we see that they may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing in his name, you would have eternal life. As this prayer continues in verses 11 through 16, we have to remember that Jesus Again, he's about to leave this earth, and he's about to be with his father and, and brought, restored back to his rightful place next to his father. He anticipates this happening in his writing where he says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. But his disciples, they're going to be left here without Jesus' physical presence, but, but they're going to have the Holy Spirit. We know that. John 15 told us that he was going to send the helper to come. And what we see in verses 11 through 16 is a prayer for the preservation and protection of Jesus' disciples. Jesus prays in verse 11 that the Father would keep them in your name as he leaves. That not one of his disciples would be lost as he's leaving. Jesus pleads to his Father here to keep them in your name. D.A. Carson states that Jesus is praying that God will keep his followers firm in fidelity to the revelation that Jesus himself has mediated to them. They must not turn from the truth that Jesus taught them. They are called to carry on the mission here on earth while he is with his Father, to preserve them, to be kept from the influences and the forces of this world, to be kept in the care and in the arms of God. He is praying that they would be one as he is one with the Father. And this unity that Jesus prays for that his disciples would have as he's going to go to his father is a unity of purpose and mission. Moving forward, as he leaves this earth, Jesus is praying, may you be one as we are one, that, that may you have a unity as the church, as disciples of me, in unity, in purpose, and mission. I love the way that this idea of unity was illustrated in a commentary that I read this week, and I want to read you guys this story. Any of you guys out here have ever been a part of a rowing team, ever? Or, or how many of you guys have just watched rowing before? Yeah, pretty much everybody. But in the sport of rowing, though, unity is key, right? 
in the sport of rowing, unity is really, really important. Each oar must enter and exit the water at precisely the same time if the boat wants to maintain speed. The way that rowers stay in sync is by listening to the coxswain. The coxswain does not row, but he sits in the back of the boat and he calls out the strokes, right? So the coxswain is the only one who faces forward, so the entire crew must listen to the coxswain's commands and respond. And when that happens, the boat begins to fly. The boat begins to fly over the water in this beautiful, fast motion happening. Everybody's synced up. See, unity does not come from each individual just trying to row their hardest. But it comes from submitting to a single voice. As disciples grow in submitting to the voice of God, they grow more and more of the same mind. Their thoughts, their desires, their intentions, they begin to mirror God's. And they experience a unity unfamiliar to the world around us. Guys, this is the unity that Jesus is praying for. When we are one, as Jesus prays for, there is so much joy when we submit ourselves together collectively to the voice of God. There is such a peace when we are unified in purpose and in mission. Moving on in this passage, we see yet another strong contrast, though, between disciples of Jesus and the world. And you guys are going to see how all this ties together in just a minute. I'm excited for this to come together. So just a few weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 15, where Jesus said, remember, the world is going to hate you. Remember, the world is going to hate you, but remember me. They hated me first before they hated you. The world hates disciples of Jesus. Do you guys know that? And the reason why is because we are not of the world. We are not of the world. We are not about the world's system of sin. We have been set apart. We are citizens of a different kingdom, my friends. They are in the world Disciples of Jesus are in the world, but they are not of it. Disciples of Jesus have been given the word, which is the truth, the revelation of God. The world does not like the truth. The world does not like the truth of the word of God because it calls out evil. It calls out sin for what it is. The Bible is not light on sin. The Bible is not light on the ways of the world. And Jesus is praying that God would not take them out of this world, but they would be protected from the evil one as he leaves to go to his father, that they would be protected from the evil one as they live in unity on mission here on this earth. Disciples of Jesus are not a part of the world's system. We live in a world where the world's system is very, very anti-God. And Jesus prays this protection against the evil one who we know. The evil one is part of the world system. Let's, talk, let's just talk for a minute about the world system. Like, Satan is globally opposed to the kingdom of God and the things of God, right? Like, 
Anyone else realize that the devil is opposing the truth and the kingdom everywhere we look? Like, the prince, he's the prince of the power of the air. He is here to steal, to kill, and destroy. The devil is doing everything to dominate and control those who do not believe in Jesus, and he's trying to divide the church. We need to be praying desperately, just as Jesus did for his disciples, that we would be protected from the enemy and his evil tactics. I am thankful again this morning as I read this that we have a Savior that intercedes for us, praying protection against the evil one. Aren't you thankful for that? Guys, the evil one, he is finding himself in every realm. You could just look around. The evil one is in education. He's in politics. He's in entertainment. He's in sports. It is overseen by Satan, and it is comprised of unbelievers. Everything is anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-holiness, anti-purity. The disciples are not of this world. This is why we can't be of this world. And as Jesus is getting ready to leave, to die on the cross, the priority that Jesus speaks of is that you as a disciple of Jesus would live set apart in the world and not be of the world. See, central to Christ's glorification is is an embracing of resistance against the world and a devotion to Christ. We are in the world, but we are not of it. Let's read just the last few verses of our section this morning. It says in verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let's talk about sanctification for a minute. When we think about sanctification, oftentimes our minds go to You know, I'm becoming more like Jesus progressively in my Christian life. And that is a wonderful and right definition. But there is another side to sanctification as well. And it's this idea of being set apart to God for his use. Being set apart to God for his use. Romans 8 actually tells us that God is working in those that are his own to conform them into the image of his son. When somebody is set apart... For God and for God's purposes alone, what that means is that that person does what God wants and hates what God hates, right? And you love what God loves. You love the things of God. And Jesus prays here before he was to die on the cross, before he was going to go back, restore to his father, he says, For my disciples, Lord, I pray, sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart in the truth. Make them more holy by the truth. Make them more conformed into the image of Christ by the truth. Father, keep them undefiled. Keep them pure from the evil one in heart, in soul, in unity. Jesus is asking that his disciples be sanctified in the truth. Jesus was set apart, sanctified. He was set apart from this world and his time here on earth. Jesus says, "I, I want them, I want my disciples to live in the world set apart. See, the disciples, they've been set apart for a special use. You know, how many of you 
out there still use, you know, nice china for, you know, big meals. Maybe it's your, like, Thanksgiving meals or um, special occasions. Like, a lot of people still have their, you know, big china cabinets and all that. That's kind of the idea here. Like, we are set apart for special use for God. God has chosen us as his disciples for special use to be witnesses of him to this world around us. To be witnesses of him to the world around us. You know, just like we talked about with glorification you know, earlier, glorifying, you know, like Piper said, he said, means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness, that make much of God, that give evidence of the supreme greatness of all his attributes and the all-satisfying beauty of his manifold perfections, a magnification of him, displaying his goodness, wisdom, love with our lives. We, as disciples, set apart as for special use, for to be witnesses to the world around us. That's what we get to do with our life. We get to glorify him in thinking and feeling and acting in ways that reflect his greatness and his wisdom and, his, and just make much of God. So Jesus is saying, therefore, I am praying that my disciples would be set apart, sanctified for special purposes, that they would be protected from the evil one, that they may be worshipers, set apart, living lives, giving glory to Christ, living in unity with one another and preserved. Guys, we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We live in the world, but we are not of the world system. The world is not going to support us. And the world believes that Christians are the problem in society. The world is adamantly opposed to what we believe. I mean, just think about what we believe to be truth right now and the hatred that is coming from the world. You know, we believe that a man is to be a man, and a woman is to be a woman. And this is being adamantly opposed. You guys see the tension? Jesus' followers were called to be set apart from the world. And as long as we are living in conformity and obedience to the truth, that's how we're going to make a difference. But here's the thing. It isn't Jesus' will just to take us out of this world. <laughs> yeah, I found that so fascinating in our passage because there's so many days, so many long, weary days of watching the news and seeing the brokenness of humanity and just things falling apart and you're just like, man, I can't wait to get to heaven. The longing, the angst. And those are beautiful feelings and angst that we should have as believers. But notice, though, how Jesus didn't want us to just be pulled out of this world. We have a mission here. We have been set apart for special purposes to be witnesses of Jesus here on this earth while we are here. You know, I, I, was, I, I love this. In my prep this week, I, I came across... In, in one of the commentaries, they talked about how, how Christians can often live in three different spaces as it relates to the challenge of living in this world. And, and I thought it'd be really cool to put these up on the screen. So I'm going to break these down for you. So this, 
This commentary says this. So Christians can often live, number one, in isolation. So, so this is like the living in your basement mentality. Like you believe the gospel and it's like I'm going to hide and I'm going to keep myself as far as I can from any kind of temptation and keep myself as far as possible away from the world. And I'm never going to engage any non-Christians at all. And in an attempt to remain faithful to the word, there is a disregarding of the mission here. Okay, so that's isolation. And some Believers fall into this category. Number two is in inoculation. So, so this is what this is, looks like. It's like believing the gospel has made them immune to any kind of worldliness. So, so what a better way, this, this mindset says, you know, what a better way to reach the world than, than to blur any possible distinction between Christian and non-Christian. You know, we're just going to live like non-Christians and, and, you know, I'm covered by, by God's grace, and, you know, I'm good. And what happens here is, is a minimizing of sin and repentance, and it blurs the lines as to there being any kind of difference between them and the world. So in an attempt to be faithful to the mission that God has given to reach the world, there is a disregarding of the truth. But there is a third and a better way, and it's an insulation. It's a life of insulation, which says this, I am working diligently to balance faithfulness to the truth and mission. There's a balancing going on where we don't isolate or we don't blend in to the world around us and blur the lines. No, no, we live differently in the midst of the world around us. We live bearing the fruit of Jesus that is seen in our lives. We live as salt and light. We live as that city on a hill. We stay faithful to the truth, and we also live on mission. See, guys, God's will for the church is to go to every corner of the world with the light of Jesus. What did he say in Matthew? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So no, he does not want us to be taken out of the world. No, we are not called to be isolationists. No, we should not be blurring the lines and living so much like the world that there's no distinction. Guys, we need so badly Christians that know the truth and know the mission and live in balance and speak up for the truth in the world. You know, I think about so many of the messages that are being shoved down the throats of the teenagers that I minister to and, and help shepherd each week with our team. I think about these messages that I hear from them, and you just see it everywhere from our culture. Follow your heart. Listen to what's inside of you and just follow and act upon that. Do whatever makes you happy. Whatever desires you have, go out and just go for it. Live for yourself. Don't think about others. You go and get yours. This is why we must know the truth and stand for the truth. Because we know that when we read the Bible and that we are grounded in the truth, we know that, that, that really, we know that not to listen to our heart because our heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. And it's actually out of the heart that comes sexual immorality and anger and murder and all these things. 
And our heart actually, it needs a transformation because what's inside of us is actually what's wrong with us, right? And we know as, as Christians as well that, that we're actually called to, to deny ourselves. Don't listen to the desires that you're feeling, the flesh. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Submit to Jesus. There's actually joy and life found in that and not doing whatever makes me happy. We desperately need a transformation. We are to be set apart. Our passion in life is the glory of God and not self. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our aim in life is not about my desires, my wants, my needs. My mission in life as a follower of Jesus is about the magnification, the glorification of God set apart for special purposes to be witnesses to the world about, around us. Life is not about me. You are not going to be set apart for God's purposes if you are not submitting to the word of truth and learning to love what God loves and hate what God hates. We have to be set apart by the truth. And that's why Jesus is praying this, that they would be set apart by the truth. Your word is truth. Your word. We're set apart when we dive into the word, which is truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, the life. So everything Jesus said, that's truth. I'm going to invite the band to come up as we close this morning. You know, Jesus, he has prayed for your Christian life and is continuing to pray. He is interceding for us and is continuing to. Jesus prays that you would grow in holiness, that you would bear fruit in your lives today. Now, I want you to remember that the sanctification process by living for the glory of God in your life, this is not what saves you. When you become a follower of Jesus, you believe in the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, turn from your sin and to Christ, what happens is you are declared righteous. You are justified. Justification is something totally different from sanctification. But the beautiful thing is we no longer work for our salvation as believers. We live lives now in obedience, submitting to the truth. And in that process, God changes us. He molds us. He transforms us, conforms us into the image of Jesus along the way as we submit to him by the truth. Guys, the truth of the word is, is what helps sanctify us. Psalm 119 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to the word. Steve Lawson says this, the word of God has such a sanctifying power to wean us off of this world and weld us to Christ as we grow to become more like Christ. Guys, as we wrap up, we must be different from the world to make a difference. So many churches out there 
are trying to be too much like the world to attract the world. Too many believers, the disciples of Jesus, they're, they're blurring the lines. And we, if you maybe today find yourself in that space, I've just been blurring the lines too much. Can I encourage you to repent today? Or maybe you've, you've just been living in isolation. Man, I've just been trying to hide from, from the world, but man, I, I've got to balance truth and mission and live in this world. Be a difference maker for Christ. Set apart to be a witness for him in this world. And I can't be a witness to him if I'm isolating. His prayer is that we would be sanctified from the world. Do you truly desire to be set apart for his special purposes as a divine instrument? I want you guys to consider that question as we close and head into worship this morning. Take some time to think about this, even as we sing. Maybe you need to just remain in your seat as we end up singing this morning and repent. And if you would like to follow Jesus with your life as well, can I encourage you to, to come talk to me or one of our leaders here? We would love to share with you how you can become a Christian today. Repent and believe. There is joy found in that. Devote yourselves to the truth. It's worth it. It's worth it. Let's stand together and let's respond.